0: Well, good morning. Good to see each of you. Glad you've come to worship. Those of you that are with us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, we have a purpose as a church, and the purpose that we have is to inspire people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be wholehearted, that means that we we need to love some things. And we have three categories, three big categories that we think about loving. We want to love God. We want to love the church and love the world. And if we're going to love those things, it's going to take time. So, so in each of those three areas, we spend special time and emphasis. So when it comes to loving God, we talk about God time. That would be us spending time with God each and every day in his word, speaking to him. And then we spend time corporately as a community. We gather in this place and, and we worship God together. And then we talk about group time. Group time is where we have life groups. This is small groups getting together where we're face to face and we're interacting. We open up God's word and we're encouraging one another. And then when it comes to loving the world, we talk about go time. And go time is where we get outside of these walls and we minister locally, globally, whatever domain, whatever job that God has called you to and we're very, very intentional about those areas. So that's that's who we are and that's what we're about. And as we get together, we open up God's word. And right now, we're studying the book of 1 John. So if you brought your Bible, if you'd start opening there to 1 John, we're gonna look at a few other passages as well in Philippians and Ephesians. But as we're studying 1 John, what we've noted so far is that John has asked us to get real, get real about who God is, to get real about the sin that we have in our lives, and to get real about whether or not we truly have a relationship with Jesus and we are... Christians, we kind of have this litmus test to see whether or not we're truly in the faith. Because as John writes this, he's writing to believers. Now, when Jesus called John as a disciple, a disciple is a learner, as he called him as a disciple, he found John in Mark chapter 1 in his father's boat. And you remember what John was doing? He and his brother were mending nets. And so we can think of John as the mender. He's the mender. And so in this first book, he's mending, if you will, Christians into intimacy and fellowship with God, that's his desire. So he's talking to Christians and at the end of this book in chapter five, verse 13, he says, I'm writing to those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And as we think about Christians, I think that we would say that one of the greatest needs that we have within the church and one of the greatest struggles are Christians who remain stunted in their growth, that they're not growing, they're not developing, they're not maturing. The Christian life, John would say, is more than just being saved. He's not talking about in this moment our our salvation or our justification. Justification is, is where God makes us right. We are right and righteous before God because of what he's done. So John's saying all that's taken care of. So I'm talking to believers not about their salvation, but their sanctification and so sanctification is this, this thing where we want less of the world, less of sin in our lives, and we want more of God. We want more of his holiness. We want more of his righteousness. And that is what John is going to be talking to us about in 1 John chapter 2 in verses 12 through 14. He's going to introduce us to this idea of Christian maturity. Now, we we understand that living things grow. And it's the same for Christians. Living Christians, we grow in the faith. And we understand, too, that everything grows at different paces. Uh, If you're looking at a bamboo tree, it's going to grow at a different pace than an oak tree. And it's the same for Christians. So we need to be patient with one another. We, We need to realize that people are maturing and growing on their own pace. But the thing that John would want us to know is that living things grow. Christians grow in their faith. And he's introducing us to this idea of maturity. And he's not the only one. We find this from Paul in Philippians chapter, Ephesians rather. No, let's go to Philippians first. Philippians three. Here in Philippians three, he's saying, I want to be perfect like Jesus. And then he says this in verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, this perfection of being just like Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So John's saying, I'm not perfect yet. I'm going to be perfect when I get into heaven. So Paul would stress here that it is the direction that matters over perfection. Direction over perfection perfection. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, okay, I I don't know that I'm where I would like to be in my Christian walk. I'm not as mature as I'd like to be. I don't know everything that I want to know. That's all right. What's important is the direction. The perfection is going to come when we get into heaven. What's important is that you and I are still growing and maturing in our faith. He sums it up like this. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so when we get to heaven, the prize of heaven is we're going to be like Jesus. At that moment, the prize is we're going to have this perfection that we've been longing for. Now, while we won't have it on this side of heaven, the direction that you're taking, the growth that you have in your life is very, very important because living things grow. They mature. And the Bible teaches that the goal of Jesus Christ's coming isn't just simply so that you would be saved, saved from the wrath of God. He didn't just come so that you could be saved from something. He came so that you would be saved for works of righteousness, that you would be saved for works of God's glory in your life. Not just saved from the wrath of God, we are saved for full righteousness and Christian maturity. So my question is real simple this morning. Where are you on this path of full Christian maturity? Where are you on this path of growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ? Just evaluate where you're at. And I would say that if you would examine the church in our culture, you would find that one of the greatest needs is that We need Christians who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ to look more and more like him that we would be making a difference for the kingdom of God, and that that difference would then affect our culture that's around us. And one of the ways that we're going to be able to get to that place, of course, is allowing the Spirit of God on the inside of us to sanctify us, to have less sin, less of the world, and more holiness. And another way that we're able to get there, I believe, is to have people who are mature in the faith— begin to teach and train, to mentor, to disciple others in the faith. This is called discipleship, that we would come alongside one another and we would fulfill the commission that God has given to us. When Jesus, uh, after he rose from the dead, before he's ascending into heaven, he looks at all of his disciples, all of his followers. He says, look, I've got a job for you to do while I'm away. Go, therefore, and make disciples make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that call to make disciples wasn't just placed on pastors. It's not just placed on missionaries. That is the call of every single believer to make disciples disciples to mentor, to train, to encourage people into full maturity. And so John is leaning into that. And he's going to give us three categories of maturing in our faith. He's going to talk about children in the faith, young men in the faith, and fathers of the faith. Now, before we start unpacking all of that, I want us to kind of think about uh, some misconceptions that you might have when it comes to children, young men, and fathers. First of all, this isn't based on somebody's age. You could, be, you could be old, older, you could be an octogenarian, you could be 80 years old, come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you'd be considered an infant in the faith. You would be a child of the faith in your knowledge and your maturity. This isn't about gender. This isn't just men. He's using men and manhood as an illustration. This is men and women. This has nothing to do with God's love. It's not as if God loves the fathers more than he loves the children. He, he loves all of his children. It, it, God doesn't love me more than he loves you. I know sometimes people think, well, God's really got to love you. You're a pastor. No, he loves me just like he loves you. He doesn't love me more. doesn't love me less. It's not about God's love. It's also not about your standing in the kingdom. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't affect your standing. Child, young man, father, it's not your standing. It also has nothing to do about knowledge. This isn't about how much information you have, whether you're a child, young man, or a father, mother in the faith. Because we all know people who have a whole bunch of knowledge, they can have information, and they can be very, very immature spiritually. It's not about activity. It's not about even how active you could be in the church. I've known people who have been busy, 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 busy in the church, some of the most spiritually mature people I've met. Sometimes they're not even in the faith. They're just busy. So it has nothing to do about God's love. It has nothing to do about age and gender and all that kind of stuff. There's something deeper that we're talking about and understanding when it comes to fully mature believers and us growing in Christ. So let's go ahead. First John chapter 2 verse 12. Now here's the deal. I I, want to tell you ahead of time before we start digging into this. At the end of this message, I just want you to start thinking about this now. I am going to challenge you to do something. I didn't know how this would work. I did it in the first service. We're do it again in this service. At the end of this message, I am going to challenge you. If, if you would say, I'm in the faith. I'm a child in the faith. I don't have a whole bunch of knowledge, but I would love somebody to disciple me. I want to give you that opportunity. I, I, I'm just going to invite you to, to raise your hand and we'll see if we can get you connected in some way to disciple. If you're a young man or young woman in the faith or a father or mother in the faith, I'm going to encourage you to disciple somebody to get face to face. And this is always a challenge when it comes to church world. I mean, it's a challenge because I've, I've been watching church world for almost five decades now. And it's always been a challenge for people to disciple one another. And I don't know why that is in the American church. I think we just think, well, we pay you to do it, pastor. You, you disciple all the people. Uh, and so we'll come up with programs and there's all kinds of fads that happen to get people connected and to do discipleship with one another. And that's great. And we might come up with a program someday, but I I just simply want to say, you have permission to disciple one another. You have permission to look across a table with an open Bible into the eyes of another believer and do life. And so I'm going to challenge us at the end of this service, and then I'll get feedback on just how dumb that was later and whether or not I can keep my job. So First John chapter 2, verse 12. John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Real quick here, you are forgiven for his namesake, not your namesake. Because all of this is about the glory of God and not our own glory. So when you are in the family, it is for his namesake. And he says, I'm writing to you, little children. And the word that he uses for little children here in the Greek is technia. Technia. Now, technia means born ones. It means infants. Those those who have uh, kind of life. And so he's just talking about the the children of God. And and this is a term of endearment that John just uses over and over and over again. He's speaking to all of God's children. Everybody who's received Christ, that that is the children of God. In verse 13, he's going to use the word children again. It's going to be a different Greek word. It's going to be the word paideia. And that uh, that is going to mean those who are learners, those who are students, who need to grow and need more knowledge. They need to be taught. That's children under construction. But he starts out with this term of endearment. Hey, little children. Those that I love, children born of God, everybody in the family. He says that at the first. Then he says in verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, children, because you know the father. So John starts at the end of the growth process. He says, the father's. And to the fathers, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I think he starts with the fathers because he just got done talking about children. He didn't want to put the word children right next to one another. And he's just going to move in the opposite direction here with those who are fully mature in Christ. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. In verse 14, he's going to use the same exact phrase, the same exact words. He says the chief characteristic of someone who is a, a father or a mother in the faith is someone who knows the one who's in the beginning. And John loves the word beginning. All throughout this book, we find the word beginning. In fact, at the very start of this chapter, or chapter one rather, in verse one, he starts talking about the beginning. He says that which was from the beginning. Now we studied this weeks ago, but for the reader, they're like, okay, uh, you say beginning here. And I remember you started this letter out with beginning. Yeah. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In other words, this is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who was in the beginning, who made all things. And John says, we disciples, we walked with him. We touched him. We heard him. We know this one because of personal experience. And so John is saying the mark of a father is somebody who's been walking with Jesus. This is somebody who knows Jesus closely. This is a close fellowship and it happens over time. So in that sense, it's not something that happens overnight to become a father or mother in the faith. It's going to take some time of developing that fellowship, that intimacy, that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see this in people, right? Like We we know when people have been walking with Jesus. You you see those Christians and you're like, you're different. You're different than the folks that I see at work. You're different than the people that I watch on TV. You're even different than some of the people that call themselves Christians that I see. You've been walking with the master. I can tell. They say that when uh, couples have been married for some time, uh, after they've been living together, they start to look alike over time. That's bad news for my wife, but that's good news when it comes to Jesus Christ. That's good news when we are walking with Jesus Christ for so long that we have this fellowship, this intimacy, and we're growing to look more and more like him. And what was Jesus like? Well, man, he was like, he was selfless. And I think about moms and dads and how selfless they are, right? You would have that same thing spiritually. Like a mom or dad, they're not looking out for themselves or giving care and protection for their children. The world's not revolving around the mom or the dad. And we have to have our way, unless it's the remote for me or for, you maybe, but they, they, this is somebody who is walking like Jesus Christ. They have been so close to them that him that you look at them and you're like, you have been transformed. You are different. That is a father in the faith. And so fathers are Christ-like. They're Christ-like. They're maturing in their character. They're leaving behind uh, it, these kind of infant attitudes. They're leaving behind signs of immaturity. And so if you're a, a father or a mother in the faith in this room, You've been walking with Jesus for a while. The temptation is to eventually kind of sit back and coast to think, okay, I've arrived. But I don't want you to do that. If if you have been walking with the Lord, don't lose your zeal. Don't drift. Don't coast. Don't give up on that original purpose. If you're an older individual who's been walking with the Lord for a while, or maybe you're a little bit younger and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you're not put out to pasture. We need you. We need you to continue to invest in the kingdom of God to not lose that zeal. You're an example to me and to others because we want to finish well. You're an example to all of us, and we need you to continue to train and encourage and disciple the young men and the children in the faith. So you play a very important part of what God wants to do in the bride of Christ, his church. And again, at the end of this message, we're going to have an opportunity for some folks to say, I could really use somebody to sit down and pray with me and read some Bible verses. And I would like for you to do that for them. Now we move on and we look at the young men. Verse 13. So I'm writing to you, young men, women, because you have overcome the evil one. So the young man and the young woman in the faith, they've overcome the evil one. The mark of this person, they're moving into maturity. And their eyes have been open to what is happening in the spiritual realm. They understand that there's this battle that's going on. There's this struggle in life that exists. And it's a battle. That's been going on ever since the garden. Ever since the first man and the first woman, the evil one comes along, and there is this cosmic struggle that is going on. And the young men, young women in the faith, they're aware of this battle. This is what it says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the young men and young women in the faith, they have had their eyes open to this struggle that is going on between good and evil, between Satan and his kingdom and God and his kingdom. It's a very real battle that exists. It's been said one of the greatest tricks that the enemy has, that Satan has, is to convince people that he doesn't exist. He exists, and it is a battle. And it's a very interesting battle because it tells us this in Second Corinthians 11, that Satan goes around, he's masquerading, disguising himself as an angel of what? Light. So he's going around, not with like horns and red, pitchfork, darkness everywhere. No, he looks good. He's walking around in this world system saying, here's how you get some enlightenment. You don't really need Jesus. There's all kinds of different ways, all kinds of different philosophies. How you want to define love, all right, we're cool with that. Whatever you need to do. That's really challenging, right? So you get these things, and they look Good, you get this false world system, this false thing that begins to happen in cultures. How are we gonna tell? How would you be able to tell between false light and true light? Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world. How could you tell? Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Your word will help me differentiate between false light and teaching and truth. And young men and women, they have had their eyes open to this struggle that's been going on for their heart, for their soul, for their mind, and not just theirs, for their loved ones, and for this world. They're moving on from ignorance... And I don't say that in a mean kind of way, just a lack of, they're moving on from a lack of knowledge and they're starting to know doctrine about who God is. They're starting to understand these words and they're not so moved by the feelings of Christianity as it is the knowledge of what it is they need to know. They have these facts and they can tell truth from error and they're not easily duped by by false teachers and false religions of this world. They see it for what it is. And so let me just say, uh, for those who are young people in physical age, uh, college students, you're about to go off to college. As you go off to college, as you're getting out from underneath mommy and daddy and and the church, and you're going to go out into this world, you need to be aware that this world has an agenda. This world wants to eat your lunch. This agenda... Is for you to join them in depravity. You've heard misery loves company. Sin loves company. Nobody likes to be walking in the dark alone. Come join me. Come join us. Because the more people we have over here in the darkness. we can say well everybody's doing it. So you remember that as you go out into this world. That world system. That agenda that God is calling you. To have your eyes open to the evil one you just realize and you remember as you go to college and they're shoving down your throat theories and philosophies and they're just that theories they're going to give it to you as fact and they're going to keep telling you everything you learn from that the narrow church all of that is bad it is evil but those of you who are young men young women fathers and mothers in the faith as you go out into it your eyes are open and you're able to discern what is false And what is true, not based on your feelings, not based on the culture, based on what you know to be true. And so when people come along and they say, well, (laughs) Jesus isn't God. Really? I see the angle you're coming from. Interesting. Done listening. God's word, that's not true. It's not in there. It's full of stories. Ah, okay. I see who you are. And I see where you're coming from. You just be aware. There is a world system. It is out there. But the young men and young women in the faith, they have been taught and they understand truth. Now we begin to move towards the very beginning of children. Verse 13, he writes, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So being a child, that's not a bad thing right? He's not saying anything bad. Being a kid, entering the world is good. There's no other way to do it as far as I know. We come into this world as babies. Pretty sure there's no other way to do it. So we're all infants at some point. And he's not pointing out, well, this is bad and that's terrible. No, there are children in the faith and they know the father. They're just infants at this moment. The one thing that they have is they have life, and they know the Father. They're in the family. And just like children need to be trained, children in the faith, they need to be trained as well. You need to be taught spiritually. And again, this doesn't have anything to do with age. You you could be 70, 80 years old, come to know Jesus as your Savior. You would be an infant in the faith. You would be a child. The spiritual child, they have basic knowledge. You understand a little bit about God. You have this information. You know the basics of Christianity. You're getting the milk of God's word. And so this isn't a bad thing at this point. One thing that I just want to mention is we do see, I think, this correlation between children in the faith and physical children as well. Because physical children tend to be regulated by their feelings more so than information, by by their emotions rather than uh, information and knowledge. Think about kids. Like, they're regulated by, I'm hungry, Uh, I'm I'm thirsty, I want my toy, and then they cry, right? If, If everything's fine, if they're content, then everything's right in the world, uh, they, they're, they're, there's often conflict with children, right? Anybody with brothers and sisters, long car ride, crossing my side, don't touch me. Hey, he said that, she said that. Fight, 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 bicker, bicker, bicker. We see that in the church. I know it's surprising, but it happens. There is this conflict that occurs. It's just infancy. It's, it's this stage that people are in. And all of us have to move through these stages to continue to mature. It's important. But again, there's this joy. They're, they're in the family. They know the Father, he says. I know the Father. I know he's my protector. I know he's the one who's providing for me. He's provided a home in heaven for me. He provides all of my needs. There's this affection for the Father. But at the same time, there, there is this, just this naivete, I would say. A, a lack of knowledge about the doctrines and the truth of God, which sets up children in the faith to be led astray by false teachers and false doctrine. I mean, it's the same with kids. Why do you tell your kid when when they're little, don't talk to strangers? Because they believe everybody. They believe everything. They don't have candy for you. It's the same thing spiritually. There are wolves out there who want to teach and lead astray. This is what we find in God's word. So again, Paul, he exhorts us to continue to mature in our faith. He says this, Ephesians 4, verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Not children of God. Children uh, emotionally, spiritually in the kingdom, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. So children are to grow. Every single one of us, young men, young women in the faith, you are to grow in your spiritual maturity into fatherhood, motherhood. And to make this emphasis just like really clear for everybody, John repeats himself. Now I'm not sure exactly why he's doing this, but I do think it's for emphasis. So he says this in verse 14. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. Same exact words he's already said. I write to you young men, Now watch this, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. So he's already said you've overcome the evil one, but this time he adds you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Why does he say that? I think it's because it's key. I think this one point is central what makes what makes a child become a young man, a young woman in the faith? What makes a young man or woman become a mother or father in the faith it 's the Word of God. The Word of God makes you strong it, it is knowledge of the truth of God. And it's gotta be more than this hobby for us. It's gotta be more than this option. Like, okay, a Bible. I can I can take it. I can leave it. doesn't really matter. No, this needs to be something where it demands our time. It demands our study. We need to take time to read God's word. And so, so let me ask you, do you have time that you are reading God's word? Not just in here, but daily, consistent, not occasional, consistent time in God's word. If you don't, don't expect to mature. Make whatever excuses you want to make, but you will not grow if you personally are not feeding on the word of God. You you will not get enough just by coming in here on Sunday morning and listening to me once a week, or for some of you, once every two weeks or once a month. You are going to be malnourished if you're listening to me. I don't. I don't know everything. I can't unpack everything in thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes every week. You need to be able to open up God's word for yourself. Begin to feed yourself God's word. Now, I don't even need to be the only voice that you have in your life. You you need other teachers around you who hold high God's word and allow them to teach as, you as well just remember, they don't have a corner in all the truth either. You're going to need to be able to synthesize and discern for yourself the truth of God's word. But we need to take time to do that. Now, let me also tell you this. This isn't just about packing your mind with information. Information doesn't make you mature. We've already talked about that. Information applied makes you mature. It's not just more information. The information that you learn and applied, that is what makes you mature. You begin to feed on the word of God that feeding you then respond to the truth of God's word and then as you mature you teach somebody else you share what you're learning so we need to study the word of God not just on Sundays not just a bible study but for ourselves and we need to apply it to our lives and i would say a huge need in our culture today is that very thing we've talked about this discipleship being needed people understanding God's word because in so many churches the word of God is not read it is not studied and it is not applied And the church is weak. We are to grow into this knowledge and love and understanding of Jesus Christ. And so we need people to disciple one another. And so I mentioned it before. I'm just going to throw out this great big challenge. You have permission to disciple each other. If you're waiting for a program, you may be waiting a while because I'm not quite sure how that'll work out. So you have my permission to sit across from another Christian or two or three, open your Bible, read it, and pray for one another. Open up your heart. Begin to disciple each other, to teach, to train, to encourage. Again, I, I, I can't really think of a system other than you've got permission and you can begin to do this. And so it, this is kind of organic that's the way it has to be when it comes to discipleship, because if we made a program and we said, you meet with you, and you meet with you, there's no relationship. And so the relationship is really key. But I, I would say this, if you are interested, you, you would say, you know what, I'm fairly new to the faith, or I've never really grown in my faith the way that I've expected to. I'm I'm a child in the faith, I'm, I'm a young man, or even I'm a father and mother, and I've never had anybody disciple me. If you would say, yep, that's me, I would love to learn more about God's word, would you just raise your hand? I see half hands going up. Like I said, it's always challenging. Like, what are you What are you asking me to do? Am I, what, is this going to like go on forever? No, I'm just simply saying, if you would say, yeah, I want somebody to come alongside me. I'm going to say to the moms and the dads and the young men, young women in the faith to see that hand go up. And if you know them, say, hey, would you like to go get breakfast next Saturday? You, do you have time next Sunday after church, your spouse or you as an individual, we can go out and we can talk about God's word and we can pray and we're going to do that for two weeks and then we'll evaluate if we want to do it another two weeks. I'm not asking for a lifetime of things. I'm just saying, if you're somebody who is young in the faith or at any stage of the faith and you can say, you know what, I just need somebody to come alongside me. I want us to be able to meet and do that. Let me let me tell you how this works out for, for myself. Right now, uh, I'm, I'm discipling on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, Tuesday, I have a young man that I'm meeting with and discipling them. He's younger than me, uh, fairly young in the faith, and I'm discipling him. On Wednesdays, we have life group, and our life group is very specific to people who need to grow in their faith. And then on Thursday, I meet with a guy who's about my age who's young in the faith. Now, the guy that I'm meeting on Tuesdays, he's eventually going to take our life group because... He needs to be able to take what he's learning and then lead the group. So I'm going to give the group to him and I'll go start another group. Both of these guys I sit down with I'm to, we're not going to do this forever. And the expectation is if I'm going to invest in you, you need to invest in somebody else. This isn't just like it stops here. No, we are going to continue to disciple. We'll make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Because this is how the kingdom of God works. It doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. It happens face to face when we open up God's Word and we read it and we pray. And so, uh, I don't know what that looks like for people who are online right now. I would say if you have somebody in, in the chat or you've met, I would say you could even do this digitally for a little while. If you contact somebody else by, a, you know, like a direct message or an email, if you know them well enough and say, hey, c- can we just, could you just type out and share what you're learning in scripture? Could you hold me accountable to reading God's word? This, this can look a whole bunch of different ways. And in fact, if you're sitting there, you're like, I don't even know that I could disciple somebody else. I have resources. As soon as we're done with this service, you can meet me right down front. I'm going to give you a little card and just help you with next steps. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It is you and I investing in one another's lives. Why would we do this? We do it because we've been called to grow in the faith. And we don't just simply grow by coming into this room, sitting down for a little bit, and hearing a message. We grow when we're reading God's word, interacting with it, and discipling one another. So, uh, la- last thing we're going to do. Some of you kind of like, mm, half in, half out on um, raising of your hand. I'm going to ask those of you who say, you know what? I'd like to be discipled. I- I- I'd love to be able to sit down with somebody and just take a next step. I'm just going to ask you to stand. So, if that's you, like, you can stand right where you're at. Again, we'll find out whether this works or not. Awesome. Fantastic. Others? Cool, back there. So young, young men, fathers in the faith, if young women, if you know these individuals, I would encourage you right after the service, talk to them. Hey, hey what could we do for a next step? I, I want to do that. I want to help you take the next step in your faith. Again, this doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be long. And I'm willing to talk with you after this service to help you through that process. Children, young men, fathers, where are you at in that stage? What is God calling you to do next? Let's pray. Father. As we think about just the challenge that it is to be your disciples, the call that you have given to us to follow you wholeheartedly, Lord, I pray that within our own fellowship here, that we wouldn't be spectators of Christianity. We would be participators for, for all of us, that we would continue to have those conversations where we're developing relationship and we are connecting with one another. We're opening up our hearts and we're opening up our lives and we're allowing the word of God to penetrate as we read your word, as we apply it to your lives, Father, Help us, help us as young men and fathers in this church to continue to train and disciple those who are growing in you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.